why I hate goals is because it instantly creates not only an endpoint, but also a ceiling. I'm Brad Baker. I'm Joshua Bonital. Welcome to the future of human performance. Hey, before we jump to this episode, I just want to preface a bit as this is a real and raw conversation and one that happened impromptu as Josh and I were debriefing from our episode with Renee and why we think this is important and ultimately why we're sharing this is that it did spark some powerful real life stories and some practical takeaways around things like belief systems, right? We all have belief systems. We need to do things in life that test these so that we can confirm it or we can change and then ultimately grow as a result. We have to go on our own hero's journey, so to speak to see what life we're actually intended to lead. We also talk about goals and is goal setting even practical when we as humans are so terrible at predicting the future or predicting what we even really want in life. And finally, we get into identity and the separation between roles, what roles you may play in your career or your life versus your true identity as a person. To cap it off, Josh ends with a real life story that might make you rethink your own process to reaching success. So thanks for tuning in and let's jump right to it. None of us can predict the future. Literally nobody. So well, dude, and not only that be different than you know what you foresee. Yeah, and not only that, but we're also not good at predicting what we want or like what we would enjoy. Yeah. Or like you know what I mean, and, and I also think that we don't think big enough oftentimes where like I was thinking about this earlier today because I was I was listening to an audiobook and it's like you don't even know what you're capable of or what you want necessarily until you go try a bunch of shit. And some of it fails, some of it succeeds, some of it leads you down a different path. You can think of, you know, the biggest dream you had. So like for you, you know, it's like, oh, I want to be, I want to be a GM someday. Right. Dude, what if, what if it was bigger than that? What if it's like, no, Josh, you are actually intended to create your own league, your own new MBA, right? Which sounds like bizarre. And like, you never think that up in your head, but maybe that's what you were intended to do. You know? So I think that we sell ourselves short with not even being able to conceptualize what is possible. Well, and it's what you expose yourself to. So like, if wherever you grow up, you never leave, you never Mm -hmm. go anywhere else, you don't know any different. And frankly, like you're probably scared of different because because you've Mm -hmm. never experienced it. And so all you hear is like, it's scary. And and frankly, it's, it's our belief systems that we develop, you know, before we even realize and then we cling on to well beyond into adulthood. And maybe they did serve us when we were kids. Like, you know, when we, when we were scared, we, we cried or we got angry and threw shit, you know, and threw a temper tantrum or we just got really quiet or we hid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things stay with us if we don't recognize it. And it's like, you know, and, and people don't realize, but like Pixar, Finding Nemo, all of that stuff is actually a master class in the hero's journey. And ultimately, every single Pixar movie underneath it all is a breakdown of we meet the hero. So like we meet Nemo in Act Mm -hmm. One, and then Mm -hmm. we learn Nemo's current belief systems. And so in the case of Nemo, it's you can never leave the reef. If you leave the reef, you die. And that's yeah. it, like, because anyone that's left yeah. the reef has never come back. So that means they must have died. And then 
you go through and, and to where that belief system is tested and you sort of have this, you know, big act two where the belief system is tested and there is basically a death moment. And that death moment is either literal or metaphoric. The hero at the point of that death moment, you basically either accept that belief system and you never leave the reef. And so metaphorically, you, you've now chosen to die because that's it. You're not growing anymore. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not changing, evolving a new belief system. What comes out of the other side of it, you know, testing it is then act three where the hero emerges, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where you see all of a sudden in, in Finding Nemo and, you know, Dory got captured and all of a sudden Nemo, because he's tested these belief systems, because he's gone through it, now he's equipped and prepared to go and save Dory. And Marlin, because he's gone through it, he sees what Nemo's capable of. He sees that, you know, his job isn't just to protect him, but instead to like let him grow and trust him and encourage him and believe in him. And that's where the, the, the hero comes out. And that's what happens in our own lives. Mm-hmm. However, we don't we don't ever recognize it. We don't ever think of it that way. We don't have the awareness, but you see it with people all the time is like when they're under pressure, when their backs against the wall, when they're stressed, when they're scared, whatever, they go into the belief system that they learned. And so you have some people who are, maybe they're like highly, highly intelligent. And so what they do when they feel scared or cornered or pressured is they just start talking in like really fucking big words, you know, mm-hmm. every single big word that they can come up with, because that's the belief system that, that they know other people shut down or, or push people away because I don't know, maybe early in my life, I experienced loss and I never want to, and I never dealt with it. And so I never want to experience loss again. And so anytime I start feeling someone getting in too close without even thinking about it, I push them away, you know? And these are all things that like when we were two, three, four, five years old actually did serve us, but now we're 35 years old. Like (laughs) that belief system. I mean, like if it still serves you, there's probably something wrong there. And so you're not going to know unless you take those risks and, and people get too caught up in the, into failure, like, oh, I did this thing and, and it didn't work out. And they just look at like the outcome of it rather than looking at like the totality and everything you learned, everyone you met, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think your breakdown of Nemo was awesome because I haven't heard it said that way before. And I think it also brings up like you were talking about belief systems where it's oftentimes not even your own it's what you were taught so like with Nemo like he only knew that he shouldn't go beyond the edge of the reef because that's what his dad told him that's what his teacher told him that's what other friends told him I mean that's where obviously the people you surround yourself with are important but also like you said going outside of that testing the waters to see what you're capable of and I, I do want to tie this all back to the show with Renee because I think those were some of her superpowers that stood out oh yeah she purposely would push outside of her comfort zone and try to do things that she knew she wouldn't have exposure to otherwise. And there was multiple times, especially for her and with her career and like all the opportunities, like you guys talked about that she had and would have had, 
it would have been so easy for her to stay in that mold but she would deliberately like try something new try something different go somewhere that is going to help you evolve and so that was one of the things from from talking with her that really stood out obviously there was a lot of gems but that was one that i just thought was applicable to you know what i what i want to do in my own life as well you know yeah there's a level of just you know taking a chance taking a bet on yourself believing in yourself showing up every day putting a smile on fucking working hard helping others and, and good things will happen and you know what she's done frankly throughout her career but certainly at future is she's allowed serendipity to occur and work its magic mm-hmm. and um, one of the things that stands out to me is goals are bullshit. Straight up, like goals are bullshit. I've never once in my life set a goal for myself ever. I've never, I've trained the youngest ever MVP in the NBA. I've trained Olympic gold medalists. I've trained college basketball national player of the year. I've trained multiple NBA draft picks. And, and I'm not saying this like hype myself, but I am saying it to like, I'm not just pulling this out of any of, of nowhere. I've never once sat with any of them and set a goal because also to your earlier point of you set this goal, but you don't actually realize what's truly possible. I think the moment that you set a goal, you've you've already failed. And I think of it, you know, even where I said, I will be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. That was not a goal I set for myself. That was a fucking declaration, point blank, period. Same thing as, as when that evolved to, I will be the general manager for the Chicago Bulls. And that, I mean, that's literally was, was in my law school letters to everywhere that I, that I applied. It wasn't a goal. It was a declaration. And, and also, I think with that and, and why I hate goals is because it instantly creates not only an endpoint, but also a ceiling. It just does. Yes, also, exactly. Now you focus on the outcome and none of this shit is about the outcome. None of it, none of it. Because what you find is whatever the goal that you set, as soon as you do get there, if you get there, but frankly, you've already given yourself an out because it's a goal. It's like a, I hope I would like to, I wish to, I want to No, like screw that. Like, because now you've given the out and you go, oh, well, you know, I wanted to, but then I got busy and, you know, actually I don't really want to and it's okay. And like, we just rationalize versus like, no, like this is the thing that I said I'm going to do and I'm just going to go fucking do it. But along the way, yeah, like you might find things that are even bigger. Like for me, I said, I will be the general manager for the Bulls. And then a few months later, serendipity happens i get an email Mm -hmm. about this company future where i'm like the hell is this but then you then you dive into it and you realize like holy shit i was like excited to have this platform to build an nba team this is something where it's like literally we can change the world you know and you're like holy but but like your ass never would have thought that up on your own you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's not like you couldn't have just uh, well you're working towards this goal been like oh actually, I should go do this thing. Like, like you said, serendipity is a perfect, a perfect way of putting it, of just be open to change and risk. And the fact that you can't, you cannot predict or set a goal that accurately indicates where you want to be in a certain timeframe. Yeah. Well, and our minds are, you know, and have evolved to think and operate linearly because that's also how Mm -hmm. we survive. 
over time. We are now at a point in human history where the convergence of accelerating technologies is happening so fast and it's at an inflection point that literally our minds are not even built to be able to fathom what two or three years from now will look like, let alone seven years. But when three years happens or seven years happens, you hear everyone revisionist history going, oh yeah, I knew that thing was going to happen. Like touchscreen, iPhone, like nobody, nobody knew that. Um, And so, you know, that's, that's the other piece of like, with whatever you're doing, you have to be open to it. And in any, especially in working, any job that you take, it's not, I mean, at a certain point, yes, like there are real life things of supporting your family and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But to the extent that you can, it's not about the money. If every single job you ever take is about the money, if, you know, and frankly, I could have done that while I was at Purdue. Every single year, I had opportunities to go to other other college basketball programs, NBA programs, and all of them would have been higher salaries. And most of them would have, you know, doubled and even tripled my salary. And a lot of people do do that. They like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they job hop every two to three years, you go somewhere new because they're going to pay you 15,000 more. But what you're doing is at zero point, are you ever building professional capital? And so mm-hmm. like, that's fine. If that's the thing you want to do, you just want to kind of like hop to a new job every couple of years, but realizing it's not a new job, it's just a different version of the same thing. Like if I went to another, and this is no disrespect, but if I went from Purdue to Duke or, you know, wherever, mm-hmm. it's not a new job. It's, it's the same damn thing. It's just dressed up a little differently. We wear blue instead of gold, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that's it. And you know what? And like, that's fine. And it's great for a lot, a, a lot of people. Um, it's just not how I'm wired. And, you know, I don't think it's how you're wired. And that's what you saw with, with Renee is that's not how she's wired. And so, you know, anyways, it's like me and my journey. And I had to have some of my biggest mentors, Eric in particular, who said to me at one point, because I was miserable at Purdue, even like year four, I was Mm -hmm. like, I hated it. I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to get out. Um, I just, I I didn't feel, I didn't feel valued. I didn't love living in, like I hadn't embraced living in small town, Indiana yet. And I was, I was always kind of one foot out. And he said to me, he was like, yeah, like you can go get this job. I won't say where, where, where it was like, you can go there, but realize you're starting over. You have zero professional capital. Now, mind you, I've spent four years with the Bulls. I've been a part of the best team in the NBA, Coach Derek Rose. I think at that point was either year four or year five uh, at Purdue, maybe going into year five. And I had zero professional capital. Zero. And people don't realize that. People like, I've done six internships and think like I should be able to get any job there is I'd had these roles full time I spoke internationally I spoke at the NBA combine I spoke at you know all these places I had zero professional capital but I could build it if I just continued to stay there and and build something and establish something and then you play the long game and now all of a sudden you skip levels you know Mm -hmm. and so it's like for me now all of a sudden this opportunity for future comes along and not to like hype myself 
but they sourced like 2000 plus people for this, for my role. Like they spent a good, nearly a year, probably like nine months looking for the right fit to fill my role. I can promise you if I was making three to four times what I was making at, at Purdue, they would have never considered me because yeah, I would have a great salary, but I'm not, I don't have the professional capital to be the right person for this mm -hmm. role. And then now I've come into to this and with now what we've been able to do and build and, you know, on and on, it's this like great accelerator where it's like, for me now I'm, now I'm intimately involved in like the venture world and actually the other side of the table and, you know, writing the checks into these companies. And, um, you know, it's like even the, the, I will be a GM one day. As soon as I took this role immediately was like, fuck that. I'm going to yeah. own an NBA team one day. Like, why would yeah. I be the GM? I'm going to fucking hire that person, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I think, and one of the things from the conversation with Renee to dive in deeper on as well is what she talked about regret and like not wanting to have regret. And you mentioned there's so many people who work a job because of either the title or the salary, or it's what you're supposed to do. It's what your degree was in, whatever thing, but they fucking hate it. And then you just keep yeah. doing it because it's like, well, you know, this, this is what I signed up to do. This is what I went to school for, you know, and you don't have the, the understanding of yourself to be like, this isn't me. You know, like I can, yeah. I can go on doing physical therapy the rest of my life in clinic, but it's just not me. It doesn't get me excited. I don't get out of bed Monday morning and like want to get after it. And that's just <laughs> no way to live. Like, I, I don't care if it's again, yeah, money or title or anything else. There's, that's no way to live. Yeah. Well, I think it's the, you know, you got to be vulnerable and you got to be real with yourself. And to your point, it doesn't matter other people's expectations of you ultimately like you dictate and determine and control your own happiness. And, and if you rely on other people for your happiness, you're just often you're going to be disappointed because you don't control how other people act, think, behave like you just mm -hmm. you don't. And but but it is it's, you create an identity. So for you, at whatever point you decided that you were going to be a physical therapist, you worked your ass off. And probably even before that point, you worked your ass off before you even knew you wanted to be DPT. And then you had to work your ass off to get into that school, to, to go through it, to get the clinical rotations and not just to get random rotations. You got some really high level, com very competitive ones. And now you're doing it, you're doing the thing. And to step away ever at any point and reflect and go, you know what? Maybe this isn't exactly the thing. Like, like I enjoy it, but it's not mm -hmm. exactly the thing. There's a level of being secure in yourself and, and being vulnerable that you have to have to disassociate your identity from being a physical therapist. You know, because frankly, like, when, when we meet someone new, what's the first thing is like, where are you from? What do you do? You know, and, yeah. and that's your identity. It's that's like, your identity. Yeah, oh, exactly. I'm from, I'm from Minnesota and I'm a physical therapist. And you the say physical, it so you, much. You say it in that way too. I'm a, I'm a yes. physical therapist. Like this is yep. what I am. Not I practice physical therapy. I yes. am. Exactly. And so, and that's the whole, you know, speak it into existence frankly, you're speaking it into existence. Now you're speaking, you're saying it so much that your identity is 
I'm a physical therapist. And yep. now for you to go, 100%. maybe I don't want to be a physical therapist, practice physical therapy. Now there's that fear of like, well, shit, everyone around me knows me as a physical therapist. And who knows, maybe they like me because I'm a physical therapist. And a lot of people supported me to go and do it. And like, am I just, uh, you know, am I just kind of spitting in their face? by walking away from you know walking away from this you know i know i felt it, it was like i went and i worked for the bulls that was my dream job is what i i told mm -hmm. people i was going to do my my entire life and uh and when i left the bulls and still to this day anytime i tell my story uh the first question that i get asked they go why the hell did you go to purdue from the like what yeah. why? why you know and even when i explain it they're still like all right. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. You're like, well, I was the assistant. This gave me the opportunity to run my own program. Yeah. They're like, yeah, but you were with the Bulls. You know, why, why would you ever leave? But that's the other part of it is you realize, and look, I'm beyond grateful for my time with the Bulls. And I don't want to undersell that because it does take a ton of work, a ton of sacrifice. And that's the other thing people don't, don't realize. Like, the number of years, I, and and I was fortunate, like my parents support, like my parents didn't have a lot necessarily, but they're able to, like I was able to live at home to commute two hours each way for an unpaid internship with the Bulls, you know? And now like you just go on Twitter and there's somebody screenshotting a new position. Can you believe that this thing's on, like, yeah, dude, you're working in the freaking NBA with like, in my case, <laughs> Al Vermeil and Eric Helen. I should be paying them more than I paid the University of Wisconsin to, to be here. The <laughs> fact that they're allowing me to be here for free, that's a feel. You know what I mean? But then you get there and this the whole thing of, of goals and like setting them. And it's almost the worst thing that can happen as you, as you do reach that goal because then you get there and you go, oh, I thought this was going to make my life better. But in fact, like my life hasn't changed at all. Like it's, mm -hmm. the you know, on the whole, you know, it's it kind of the same. And so then you realize like, yeah, like, cool. When I went back home and, and hey, what do you do? Oh, I work for the Bulls. You know, it was like, you can feel. Oh, you feel man. good. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel good. I'm the man. But actually, like, wasn't anything about it that, that was that special. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, not to undersell it, but. You but know, it, did, it didn't change thing. who you are. That's like, you, it no. didn't change. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing, frankly, of like in sports. Oh man. Like I want to win the championship so bad. I want to be MVP or I want to, you know, I want to make it to the NBA, wh whatever it is, but using a championship as an example, if that's all that it's about, and that's like your quote unquote higher purpose, then heaven forbid you win the championship because guess what? Like, yes, it's going to be an amazing experience. It's going to be fun as hell. You cut down the nets, you, you know, confetti, champagne, you're the man, you, you have a parade, you know, all these things. And then guess what? Three days later, four days, five, certainly a week later, nobody cares. Nobody remembers. Well, like, in the next year it starts. You know, and then you go, yeah, exactly. And then you just hop back into the same thing, which is ultimately a finite game. And I, I think playing that finite game, it's going to leave you 
just feeling unfulfilled a lot of time, you know, it's like, cause the second you reach that thing, now you realize that's it, you know, and that's why it's, it's so important to, and it's going to be different for everyone. And frankly, it should, what, like, what is your higher purpose? Right. Is it, is it helping others? Is it your family? Is it your faith? Is it, you know, but without that higher purpose, I just think you're, you're going to get disappointed a lot. But also what's crazy is with that higher purpose, this thing that was the most important thing to you, like winning a championship or whatever it might be, it actually becomes more likely to happen because it's no longer your greatest fear that it does not happen. So you're more willing to take chances, take risks, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. Yeah, exactly. And you're more likely to enjoy the heck out of it when it does happen because you're not going to have that expectation of exactly. this is it. And then it happens and it's not. It's more so you already have it. And that is just yeah. helping you even more. Exactly. David Badaya, who, who I coach, he was a, a diver, mostly 10 meter, but he, he's done springboard as well. He's probably the greatest U.S. diver in history, um, you know, Greg Luganis, you probably put in that conversation as well, but it's, it's one of those two. Um, so he won, he won gold before I, I coached him. And then he actually won silver and bronze after I coached him. So I did a really good job of making him worse. Um, but he, his whole life, his identity was being a diver. And within that, especially when he was so, he was so good. So think about it too. As a kid, every conversation he ever has, people bring up diving and they ask him about diving. They're not going to ask him about other stuff because he's a prodigy. He's, you know, he's a diver. That's his identity. So his whole, and he's, you know, all he does, he's sacrificing his family, sacrificing for it because one day he can be an Olympian. One day he can be, you know, gold medalist. And 2008, he's a teenager. He makes the Olympics. And he didn't even make it past the the first round, like qualifying, like he didn't even make it to even compete for a, a podium spot. And for him, because that was his purpose was I'm a diver and my purpose is to win gold. And by those accounts, he failed big time. And so he actually sunk into like a pretty deep, dark depression he's written a book about it. So I'm not like sharing things that aren't already publicly out there. And it took him probably a good year to two years before he was able to like find a higher purpose for him. It was his faith and his family and really enjoy the journey. And so fast forward 2012, he wins gold and also becomes the first person in maybe four or five years, male or female, to ever beat a Chinese diver over the last four or five years. Like, that's how dominant China is. That You you can have two from each country in each event. China goes one, two in every event. Mm-hmm. Just, like, you, you, you just, you don't beat them. So not only did he win gold, he, you know, was able to win over Chinese divers, like one of the most dominant sports that, that, that we know. And going into his last dive, he basically had to have a perfect dive to win. And he ended up, he won by like hundreds of a point. And everyone watching knew he had to nail that dive. He had no idea. He didn't know what his score was because he just focused on the process because it didn't matter. It didn't matter what his score was. All that mattered was when he stepped to the edge of the platform 
that he was able to just be in the moment and fall back on the work and do it. And it wasn't until he came out of the water because that was his last dive. He looked up and everybody's going nuts. Mm -hmm. And that was the, you know, he broke into tears. He's hugging and he's enjoying that moment. But that's something that's always stuck with me is like when, when I first started coaching him, he talked to me about that story and that, and like, and he, he'll tell you, he never wins gold if his goal was to win gold. It would have exactly. never happened for him. Yeah. Which is like, sounds exactly. counterintuitive, but. And, and I, yeah, I think that's why I love what we're trying to do with this show so much because it's not about the accolades or what you've done so far or your goals. It's about learning about humans and like continuing to grow. And, you know, I don't have answer. I don't have any answers, right? All I have is my experiences so far, things that I've learned from them and just trying to learn more. So that's why we're here, man. That's it, my podcast people. I hope our conversation helped spark some thoughts, some ideas, some real life applications for you as it did for us. Let's all go try stuff, fail, learn, stay open-minded and continue our own hero's journey so that we can better understand the life that we are intended to lead. And until next time, this is the future of human performance.